the political philosopher Harvey Mansfield. He arrived at Harvard University as an undergraduate in the fall of 1949 and has remained at Harvard ever since. For a man who has spent almost six decades studying the United States, five questions about America today. Harvey Mansfield on Uncommon Knowledge now. Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge. I'm Peter Robinson. The political philosopher Harvey Mansfield enrolled at Harvard University in the autumn of 1949 and has remained at Harvard ever since. After receiving his undergraduate degree from Harvard in 1953, he received his doctoral degree from Harvard in 1962. The following year, 1963, he joined the Harvard faculty. And earlier this very day, 59 years after joining the Harvard faculty, Professor Mansfield taught a seminar in political philosophy at Harvard. Harvey Mansfield has published more than a dozen books, including the standard edition of de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, published in 2000, which he translated and edited with his late wife, Delba Winthrop. In 2006, Professor Mansfield perhaps published perhaps his most controversial book, Manliness. Joining me today from the campus of Dartmouth College, one of the few institutions that can condescend to Mother Harvard. <laughs> Harvard legend, Professor Harvey Mansfield. Harvey, five questions. Here's first family and religion. And the big question here is, do our underlying social institutions remain healthy enough to support self-government? From your book, Tocqueville, a very short introduction. I'm quoting you. In Tocqueville, religion and family represent an indispensable supplement to politics that keeps it under restraint with a reminder of a higher and more intimate life than political life. Both religion and family are necessary, necessary to self-government. All right, we come to religion in a moment. First, family. This will take another moment to set up and then I just leave it to you. In 1965, two years after you joined the Harvard faculty, Daniel Patrick Moynihan published his famous report, The Negro Family, that was the correct word in those days, The Negro Family, The Case for National Action. Moynihan, whom I, you no doubt knew, a Harvard man himself, spoke of, quote, a massive deterioration in the fabric of society right under our prosperous noses. What had him concerned in 1965 was an illegitimacy rate among African-Americans of 25%. Today, the illegitimacy rate among white Americans is more than 30%, among Hispanic Americans, more than 50%, and among African-Americans, more than 70%. And Harvey tells us that in the eyes of Tocqueville, family is necessary for self-government. How much trouble are we in? Um. Considerable trouble, I would say, yes. That's um, family. I knew Pat Moynihan. He was uh, a colleague, actually, in the Department of Government. Oh, really? That's oh, right. Oh, you were? And uh, so, uh, and we had <laughs> a lot of fun together. He was, a, he was a great fellow. He was the only um, Harvard professor who ran for office in the Senate while being a professor, and he won. And he won. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to forgive him for winning because the man he defeated was the lovely and impressive James Lane Buckley. Yes. Bill Buckley's older brother. Uh -huh. I had forgotten that, yeah. but um, Moynihan makes you forget other people. His report on the family cited uh, manliness. And I actually referred to this report in my book on manliness. One of the problems of the Negro family, as it was called then, uh, was the place of the father and uh, the lack of opportunity for manliness to show itself and exert itself. He spoke of well, the way a rooster needs uh, to strut. Mm. So there are maybe um, one, your one's first thought of the, 
of a family is love and, as you say, intimacy and hugging and um, being together. But there also needs to be a man at the, in the house, uh, a man who can um, express and, and impart a sense of importance. Mm. That, the, that this family is something that's important. Um, a man needs a sense of self-importance. That's a quotation from a woman <laughs> who uh, just spoke to one of the books I was uh, studying for that um, book on manliness. Um, and uh, I think that sense of self-importance gets, uh, is, gets lost, and, and especially in the, in the black family. Um, and is it is a, a legacy of slavery? Sorry, a, a legacy of slavery. That uh, one of the worst things about slavery was that the master could take your woman for himself if right. he wanted. So, uh, so your 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 sense of of being a man um, was altogether lost, and the recovery of that sense is, I think, in in, in good part behind. What we see now um, in um, say the excessive manliness, uh, often the criminality of black young black males, their desire to not to be here's one of the words they use not to be dissed, their right. desire for respect respect that's what they want and that's what they see they lack and, and when they when they see this lack they react very quickly and, th and this is maybe also what is behind the notion of of systemic racism that you see things which are slights and they may be small things microaggressions black. yeah term. yes microaggression right. and uh, and uh, it is something small, but you, you're not in a mood to laugh it off or to brush it off. So, so you, you get angry. Somehow uh, our whole society has uh, given itself over to taking offense easily. Um, too many take offense too easily. Mm. And I, th I think this is uh, in good part what's um, the trouble with our family life that um, and I don't know where it comes from but Harvey what about Charles Murray's argument mm -hmm. which he made way back in the 80s that the welfare state displaces the father in families on welfare yeah. now on the one hand that sort of makes intuitive sense mm -hmm. On the other hand, Moynihan notices a problem in 1965 when the welfare state is just barely getting off the ground. So it can't quite explain every, so how much, how much, how much yeah. damage to the family. Do you buy any of that argument? Yeah. Well, the other damage to the family comes from feminism, which was also uh, not quite getting started in 1965. Right. But, um, yeah, the beginnings were there. No, you're going to have to. I want everybody to know the name is Harvey Mansfield. Send yeah. your letters to complaint to him. But how on earth you you don't have anything to prove to anybody? So you can say what you want, Harvey. Right. But how do, how does that argument go? How has feminism damaged the family? Well, feminism says uh, that uh, a man is the same essentially as a woman, has the same status, the same rights, nothing. Uh, there's nothing fatherly or paternal that's needed. The famous statement of, I think it was Gloria Steinem, that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Right. And so that's, <laughs> right. that isn't even that, that funny. No. But it isn't true either. So, uh, you know, so, so I think the, the, the independence of, of women and then the, the, so the rationalization of that independence through feminism has had, a, I think, a good deal to do with the, 
with the decline and difficulties in a, in, in a family. Mm. Religion. Harvey, I'm going to quote you again on Tocqueville. For Tocqueville, despotism can do without religious faith, mm -hmm. but freedom cannot. Though Americans do not allow religion to mix directly in government, he says, it should be considered as, and now you quote Tocqueville himself, the first of their political institutions, religion as the first of Americans' political institutions. All right, a couple of statistics. According to Gallup, the proportion of Americans reporting membership in a church, synagogue, or mosque in 2000, 70%. Today, 47%. Nuns, the proportion of Americans who claim no, no religious affiliation, again, this is Gallup, Americans over 76 years old, 7%. Between 58 and 76, 13 between 42 and 57, 20%. Between 26 and 41 years old, 31%. And between 26 and 41, those ages, almost a third. Almost a third of young Americans claim no religion whatsoever. All right, I repeat, despotism can do without religious faith, but freedom cannot. What do we do with this? Mm -hmm. That is, those are disturbing figures, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm offering you the opportunity to cheer us up, Harvey. <laughs> well, uh, let's see from the standpoint of Tocqueville. Religion is not just a value. It's um, a higher value. It's something that makes you look to a power which is above, which is stronger than you are. But uh, religion is also within the realm of what he calls civil society. It's not the work of government. So strongly as he believed that religion is a polit political institution, he also <clears throat> believed in the separation of church and state. America got started through a theocracy, really, of Puritans, but that had to be corrected in the American Revolution at about that time, um, most uh, of the colonies uh, abolished established religion mm -hmm. and instituted uh, what amounted to a separation of church and state. So it's more, um, it's not so much worship that, that he worries about or that he thinks will bring um, Bring um, uh, republics and democracies, make them stronger. It's about what you think. The real danger for democracy, intellectually, is materialism. Democracy has a tendency toward materialism because people, having no authority over them, look around and find nothing, and satisfy themselves with petty pleasures and immediate gratifications. That's certainly been my plan. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and those are immediate pleasures are material right. for the most part. And those, that, those material pleasures can lead you out of your political interest or concern into the sense that uh, you are the victim of a series of vast impersonal forces which you can't do anything about. In a democracy you feel, yes, I'm free, but I'm one among so many that I'm also weak. So materialism uh, accentuates in your sense of being weak. It tells you you're you are determined by causes other than yourself. So to, uh, to, to combat that, you need a sense of what is spiritual. And so one can make a general sort of category of spiritual versus material. And we need spiritual for the sake of our self-control. So it's complicated. You have to think that there is an authority above yourself, but it's something that you accept for yourself and understand 
as something which, which gives you a sense of control over your future and uh, in your country's control over your future. So a sense of self-control is necessary for the um, health of self-government. And self-control comes with religion, the, the sort of self-appointed authority over yourself. So, so, so it's um, not so much a loss of piety that he's worried about, but a loss of the, um, in, in, among intellectuals, the loss of a sense of um, wholeness that can arise from putting yourself in God's place. God is uh, above us, and he generalizes, and he also particularizes. Our politics, however, do one or the other. We generalize, we treat men as, uh, as ver roughly similar, if not perfectly equal. Right. That's democracy. Or particularize, that's oligarchy or aristocracy. Certain people, the few, are more important, more interesting, more powerful than the others. And that, that somehow needs, deserves to be respected and rewarded. So uh, yeah, 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 your political thinking is much improved by uh, any, doesn't require success, but any step in the direction of uh, a divine point of view. So, th so this is, I think, his, uh, his, his view of, kind of an intellectualist view of religion. So and, and that is what is get that's what that is what is lost as well now. Mm. So what? So the notion of the divine of God. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, it's complicated, as you say. Also, I'm. Mm -hmm. It seems to me to be I'm trying grasping to sum it up, as if it's my job to try to sum up Harvey Mansfield and Tocqueville. But it feels like a paradox. On the one hand. In, it enforces a certain humility of outlook, but it, on the other hand, yeah. it enhances the meaningfulness of the right. political endeavor. Right. What we are doing together, I'm humble before you, yeah. because I believe there's somebody much smarter than both of us. Right. We're both limited, let's talk this over, let's do the best we can, but at the same time, our joint project is meaningful because we are both the create creatures of this remarkable yeah. something. We don't have to be too specific about right. it to proceed democratically. Is that yeah. roughly correct? That's roughly correct. And the, so the political danger of religion is thinking that God is on your side. Right. Right. So, uh, so, so you, have to, uh, you, you have to get above that. And you have to s see that there are uh, limitations to your side politically. Liberals and conservatives need to understand that liberals and conservatives are going to continue to exist. Yes. And that, that, and that liberals, I think, here have more trouble than conservatives in believing that, that um, they can, uh, that, they're, that they are stuck with their opponent right. uh, for, let's say, if not perpetually, as, as far as the eye can see. So in a great big bumptious country like this one, yeah. coexistence is right. the only possibility. Yes, right. and uh, religion can help that. It, um, it, it, it puts something above you, but it doesn't do it in a way that makes you think that God is, is your partner. Right, all right. Next question, next big question for Harvey Mansfield. What are we to make I suppose I could get in trouble just for putting it this way. What are we to make of gender confusion? Mm -hmm. There, that's as far as I'm going to go. I'll let you say the really <laughs> outrageous things. Two quotations. This is Harvey Mansfield in his 2006 volume, Manliness. Our gender-neutral society needs to readopt the distinction between public and private. In public, our society should be gender-neutral. In private, not. Women 
should be free to enter on careers, but not compelled to do so. Yet they should also be expected to be women. I'm going to duck the brickbats as they come flying at yes. you. <laughs> and men should be expected to be not merely free, but manly. A free society cannot survive if we are so free that nothing is expected of us. Close quote. Here's President Biden a couple of weeks ago. To everyone celebrating Transgender Day of Visibility, I want you to know that your president sees you. Okay, where are we, Harvey? Mm -hmm. First of all, well, let's, let's, let's decoct your statement because that was quite a complex paragraph as well. <laughs> In public, we should be gender neutral. Mm -hmm. That's an achievement. The yes. notion that women should be completely free to enter upon careers and all right that, that's what you mean it is an achievement and, and so and we get the uh, advantage of women's intelligence in a way we take advantage of that, of that great resource which has been under, underutilized or <clears throat> uh, held down partly by feminine modesty but also by uh, male uh, obtuseness all right Women should be free to enter on careers. Mm -hmm. Thus far, Dr. Mansfield is uncontroversial. Yet they should also be expected to be women. Mm -hmm. You'd better explain yourself. <laughs> uh, society requires expectations. I think that's something that conservatives understand better than liberals. Conservatives believe in conventions, in good and sound conventions. Mores. Talkfuls was a term, and immers in French was the was the word. But um, and these are not laws, but they're um, they fill that uh, gap between government and individual by um, bringing us together in such a way that we're not surprised, and we don't always have to improvise when when we meet someone of the. I'm going to call it the opposite sex. You and, outrageous man, you. Yeah, right. right. And uh, so, so uh, we we need expectations, and 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 none more than about the differences between men and women. Men men should be more courteous and more manly, and women should be more modest and more uh, gentle and. We don't need two sexes that are um, violent and, and aggressive. Okay, so now there are a couple of questions I'm required to ask. One is, are you arguing that women and men are naturally different, that these differences are rooted in different physiology, different, I don't know, different yeah. genes? Or are you saying that for the good of society, that, for the, that, that it is simply a superior way to live if we retain some notion of, forgive me, I don't know other, what other term to use, chivalry. Something, yeah. some, some distinction between the sexes that all of us understand. Yeah. We're stuck with it and we ought to admit it <laughs> and live with it as best we can or we should aspire to it. Which do you mean? We should aspire to it, but uh, we also have natural inclinations, I think, that, that help us to aspire to it. It isn't just an imposition uh, by society. These aren't just stereotypes. Um, most of the stereotypes regarding sex are correct, by the way. So I, so I, so I found on... I, that's in the, in the literature on sex differences, of which, are, of which there's a good deal. One finds uh, really nothing to support the feminist contention that men and women are essentially different and not... Essentially the same. I mean, the essentially, same, right. essentially the same or similar. Right. So um, most people understand that. And they, the, the layman, this is <clears throat> the, what the experts would, will tell you, is that the layman... Um, understand the differences between men and women pretty well. You have to be an intellectual to believe there's no difference? You do. 
All right. You do. And a certain kind of intellectual, a Marxist intellectual, right? yeah. like right. Simone de Beauvoir. All right. Harvey, here's an, another big question. Well, actually, before we leave this differences between men and women, mm -hmm. what has happened? Mm -hmm. Something, something's happened in the last 18 months or so, and maybe, well, mm -hmm. we get a Supreme Court decision saying that same-sex marriage, and there were a lot of conservatives who said, fine, 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 let, mm -hmm. let, let same-sex couples aspire to the same kind of domestic devotion right. that's available to heterosexual couples. That, that's a kind of cons But then we get a kind of transgender fever, almost, okay. in which you have the President of the United States, right. whose parents raising right. young Joe Biden yeah. as a Catholic family in Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. could <laughs> scarcely have conceived that their son might one day say yes. to all of you celebrating Transgender Day of Visibility. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Uh, We've gone crazy on that point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, th this is, goes beyond feminism. Feminism was supposed to help out women, but they did so in such a way that they couldn't define a woman. And now that lack of definition is coming back to bite them. It's, going to, it's attacking uh, women's sports. It's, right. Uh, it's, 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 uh, Title IX is meaningless yeah, it, it, unless women are women. That's right. There's yeah. no... All right. All yeah. Right. All that is correct. <laughs> and can I ask, do you think this is something that... Blow over is not the right word because there are arguments. There's an intellectual underpinning to this. Mm -hmm. But is this the sort of thing where, the, where common sense will prevail over time? Does this worry you or do you think, oh, this is just a... This is temporary... We plead temporary insanity as a nation. No, it does worry me because... Uh, <laughs> It is possible for uh, intellectual delusion to defeat common sense, mm. at, at least for a long time. On the other hand, there is that famous statement that nature, you can throw it out the front door with a pitchfork, but it'll come in at the back door. All right. Question, I think we're up to question four here. National conservatism. Mm. Does the country need a new kind of conservatism. All right. As you well know, there's a debate taking place on the right or among conservatives right. or the center right, however you'd like to define it. Right. And certain conservatives insist we need a new conservatism. Christopher DeMuth, writing recently in the Wall Street Journal, and Christopher DeMuth is one intelligent, articulate person. Quote, <clears throat> when the American left was liberal and reformist, Conservatives played our customary role as moderators of change. When the leftward party in a two-party system is seized by radicalism, the conservative instinct for moderation is futile. Conservatives need to move to nation rebuilding. All right. The principles that the founders made explicit in the Declaration and the Constitution the explicit bits are no longer enough. We now need to make explicit aspects of the founding that they were able to take for granted. A certain sense of common nationality. Borders. They didn't have to worry about borders, of course. Who knew where the western border was at that stage? Yeah. Somewhere on the other side of the Allegheny Mountains. English. It never crossed anybody's mind who signed the Declaration that there might be a pressure on English as a common language. So does this make sense to you that we... or So that's one aspect, I think, of the national conservative impulse, that there are aspects... We're not trying to reject the founding. We're trying to draw out what is implicit and that we now need in our current day to make explicit. But then you've also got in Krista Muth a second impulse, I think, which is we need to fight back. The left is playing fair, moderating, yeah. slowing them. That doesn't work anymore. They want to. The left is now in a mood to turn the country upside down, and we cannot permit it. So, what do you make of, of what I take to be two impulses in national conservatism? Well, I too like uh, and admire Krista Muth very much. Um, but I, 
I worry about the national or integralist or um, common good conservatism. Um, but I do agree that uh, there's a problem. <laughs> and you could say that the, the problem of the border is the same as the problem of, of the same sexers, that, um, that we don't know how to make definitions. We mm. stop believing in essentialism, whereas common sense tells you that every country has a border. Um, the intellectual delusion that there are no definitions tends to deny this. There, there, there isn't even a difference between an alien and a citizen right. that, that deserves to be respected. So somehow we need to recover our, our, our essentialism. But um, at the same time, uh, one should hesitate to constitutionalize our differences. And we have, uh, we have a constitution which is supposed to unite us, within which both of us, both parties, have to live. So I come back to my point about the importance of liberals and conservatives expecting that each, each, each of them will, the, the opponent of each of them will survive. So, and, and that, that means that, yes, yes, we have to fight, but um, yeah. what about the fact that uh, people don't believe in the nation or that people uh, have a different view of the nation? That if, if when that gets to be um, dominant because a president like Biden is elected, that, that's worrisome and it's something to oppose. But I don't think it's, it's anything fundamentally new. Oh, you that, don't? No. I don't think it, that, uh, that it requires uh, a rethinking of, uh, of, the, of, of that sphere of civil, civil society, which is between government and the, and the individual. All right. So that, um, it, 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 one of the many attractions of talking to you is that you've seen a lot, Harvey. So, Harvard in 1949, when you go up to the place as a f freshman, mm -hmm. and indeed Harvard in 1963, when you become a member of the faculty, mm -hmm. is one Harvard. Mm -hmm. And by 1968 and 1969, we have a different institution. Or at least an institution, mm -hmm. let's say from Harvard Yard, you can still hear the screaming and the rioting outside in Boston that's taking place in the 60s. And you don't, f the country held, what was Yates, the, the center did hold, the Constitution contained all of that ferment and even, sorry to say, violence. In, in some ways, in many ways, the 60s is actually even a creative moment. We get the Civil Rights Movement, which is a, one of the glories of American history. And having lived through that, Harvey Mansfield does not look at the present and say, uh-oh, this is unprecedented. Well, you mentioned the late 60s, and that gives me pain because I lived at Harvard to write through the late 60s. And that was... Uh, that was rough. That was rough. It was disgusting. That would, that's the word I would use. Um, and that's the emotion which I... Uh, felt, but um, so yes, uh, conservatives have had trouble on the culture issues. Um, but I like a remark that Yuval Levin made recently. There's the culture issues, and then there's the economic issues. Mm -hmm. And um, the conservatives think more about the culture issues than the economic issues, which is the ones that they are losing on. Whereas the liberals facing those two categories care more about the economic issues where they are losing <laughs> and take for granted the cultural issues where they are winning. So both sides think they are losing. And this is a way that our hyper-partisanship adds fuel to our hyper-partisanship that, that uh, my, both of us are, 
are highly dissatisfied. So conservatives should look at this at the prosperity and the and the and many more than comfort they're they um the the rather high living that our country uh, uh enjoys, especially by our media competitors. Um we somehow have a lower average IQ than the Scandinavians and the Germans. But we get a lot, much more. We get much more from our economic system than they do. And Harvey, does, is wealth a solvent of character and common sense? So here's what I mean by that. You were, I guess, 18 at 1949, typical for age for a freshman. You'd lived through the Second World War. Your parents had come up during the Depression. Mm -hmm. In some basic way, every member of your generation understood the stakes. Mm -hmm. You now teach, while well, you were teaching, were you teaching undergraduates earlier today? Was it undergrads or, or graduate seminar? Uh, it was undergraduates. All yeah. right. Yeah. So you've got a room full of 18 to 22-year-old Harvard mm -hmm. students who've known nothing <laughs> but prosperity. Mm -hmm. The tooth, what was it, the 2008 financial crisis, not nothing by comparison with the Great Depression. And does that in some way or another, does every generation to relearn the virtues necessary to pursue democracy, does every generation have to, have to experience yes. the stakes? Yes, it certainly does. It does? Yes. But, and, 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 uh, we, and we are certainly, and I think now we are experiencing those stakes. That, um, and, and you see that in the, in, the, uh, in the clash between the woke and the conservatives. Now they, they, um, the, the woke take things, takes things for granted. But, um, like wealth. Like, like wealth. health. Like health, right? Yeah, and and uh, I mean, personally, you're, you talk about uh, myself when I was a kid. Now I'm ninety, but thanks to our wealth and certain uh, interventions, medical interventions that I've um, enjoyed, uh, I I feel pretty good at ninety years old. That's I should just yeah. let everybody who's watching this know that not only did you teach a seminar in Cambridge today, yeah. drive all the way up here, but when you arrived, there was a power outage and you had to walk up <laughs> three steps, so three flights of, of uh, stairs. You're doing fine at night. All right, no, that's, that's not, yeah, thanks, that's nothing, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, um, people often, or often behave better when they're under pressure, under stress, but uh, we are under stress. We conservatives, especially, We're, uh, <laughs> we have the, uh, the pleasure of losing, and uh, <laughs> it, it, it gives us something to be worried about and to think about. Next big question, mild despotism. Mm -hmm. Again, from your introduction to Tocqueville, mm -hmm. the greatest danger to democracy, the greatest danger to democracy comes out of democracy. Instead of people's sovereignty, Tocqueville warns of, and now you're quoting him, the immense being of big government and a new mild despotism resulting from that government. All right. We now live in an America in which government at all levels absorbs something like 50% of right. GDP. Half of what we make, they take. In which federal agencies have absorbed much of the legislative function mm -hmm. of Congress, in which federal research grants and other subsidies make up a third or more mm -hmm. of the budgets of our major universities. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the case in 1949 at Harvard. Mm -hmm. In which a president who attempted to confront the administrative state, I am slyly introducing the subject of Donald Trump here for you, Harvey, mm -hmm. found himself denounced by the universities and the press mm -hmm. and impeached not once but twice. Have we succumbed? To mild despotism? It, was Tocqueville warning about the deep state that Donald Trump railed against? He was warning about what he saw then. 
and, and we're seeing the same thing now. So he, he had this wonderful foresight. But he also listed things that are good about our country and that are ways in which we combat this mild despotism. And he ended it with a question whether it will continue. I think it is a, a challenge for each generation that comes. But um, um, in response to your questions, I think we need to count our blessings. And, all right. <laughs> let, let, me try, let me try. This is as dark as I will get. All right. And you being you, I'm pretty sure you'll, yeah. you'll swat it away. Dostoevsky. Uh-huh. The Brothers Karamazov. You know exactly where I'm going. The Legend of the Grand Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. In which we have the Grand Inquis- Inquisitor saying to Christ, you're all wrong. These people don't want freedom and redemption. And here's, here's the Grand Inquisitor. Receiving their bread from us, the technocrats, receiving their bread from us, the people will clearly see that we take the bread from them to give it back to them. And they will be only too glad to have it so, as it will deliver them from their greatest anxiety and torture, that of having to decide freely for themselves. Never was there anything more unbearable to the human race than personal freedom." Close quote. <laughs> Sustaining a free society is too much to hope. We human beings cannot bear it. Tell that to you, you, the Ukrainians. That's, <laughs> that's, that's that question tough. taken care of. <laughs> All right. right. Last big question here. Right. Universities. Mm-hmm. Again, a couple of statistics. 2020 study by the National Association of Scholars. Registered Democrats outnumber registered Republicans among university faculty by a ratio of 8.5 to 1. Mm-hmm. In election cycles between 2015 and 2018, university faculty who donated to Democrats outnumbered university faculty who donated to Republicans by a ratio of 94 to 1. I'm, I'm, I'm suspicious that one may be you. <laughs> According to a faculty survey by the Harvard Crimson, the percentage of Harvard faculty that called itself liberal or very liberal, 78%. The percentage of Harvard faculty that called itself conservative, 3%. That is you, and maybe two or three of your it friends. It wasn't me because I don't answer surveys. <laughs> so let's say it's 3.5%. Yeah. We'll toss you in. All right. Okay. So universities are just overwhelmingly... Yeah. to the left. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was an undergraduate here at Dartmouth, conservatives used to say, don't worry. When the 60s generation begins to retire, all of this will correct itself. They've retired. Yeah. It's gotten worse. Argument one. Argument two. Then conservatives said in the 80s and 90s, don't worry. When the kids graduate, they'll get jobs, They'll start paying taxes. They'll need to scrape together down payments for their first homes. They'll want to raise families. They'll encounter reality, Mm -hmm. and they'll become conservative, or enough of them will become conservative. Both of these arguments sound plausible, and they both seem to be wrong. Yes, It's it's the the faculty overwhelmingly left, even though the 60s generation is retired, and younger generations Mm -hmm. are farther to the left than the older generations. The kids don't correct themselves or don't correct themselves in anything like a decade, all right. So how come those arguments are wrong? They sounded, sounded so plausible to me. They, sound, they do sound plausible, and, and they have been wrong. <laughs> so um, ideas have consequences. I think that's a, a conservative saying. And education really does have an effect. And um, so we're having to... So you mean that what we, you've been doing at Harvard all these years sticks? Well, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I have a few, just, uh, a few graduates that maybe won't be like uh, most of them. But um, you're right. Now, I'm, now you're getting me indignant and a little bit more pessimistic. 
because I, I, th I think our, our universities are in very bad shape in this regard. And where's, they're, the, they're, where's the mechanism for self-correction? Uh, politic, politics. You can see that, uh, for example, uh, Harvard got charged $143 million in tax on its endowment by, put, on, put in there by uh, the Republicans. Harvard has become a, um, a figure of fun and of, uh, and it's, it's the most prestigious uh, institution with such ill repute. <laughs> The, so, but that's that, an, so that's, and, that, and, that, and that's not good. Thing. It, it, it politicized itself, and it's uh, perhaps going to have to start paying for it. All right. I cannot see that its present policy of sort of replicating the, the Democratic National Convention at every commencement is in, in any way um, satisfactory or in its interest to maintain. Let me offer three models for reforming the institutions, or at least for giving the center-right conservative, giving them breathing space. All right, here's model number one. Establish little conservative Montenegros. Robbie George's Madison program at Princeton, mm -hmm. which is a magnificent thing, but it's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's a gulag. Mm -hmm. Harvey Mansfield, single-handedly, you have filled American academ academia with such with what conservatives in political science departments as do exist. That's one model. <laughs> the other model is forget about the old institutions. Mm -hmm. Go found the University of Austin, mm -hmm. where this billionaire Joe Lonsdale is putting up money to found an entirely new university. Mm -hmm. And the third model is give up on the research institutions. That's where the corruption is. Let's go back to little liberal arts institutions. There's St. Thomas Aquinas, a lovely Catholic college in California, or look at all the little institutions that still exist that dot New England and nobody even speaks of because Harvard so dominates. All right. So Montenegro, conservative Montenegros, Monte Carlo's, perhaps, entirely new institutions, mm -hmm. or give up on Harvard and Stanford and all the other monstrous institutions <laughs> and try to, try to right. find some, concentrate on Hillsdale or St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, what I'll, do you think? I'll answer like a politician. Let's do all three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we shouldn't give Harvard to the other side. I'm too much of a crimson deep down to to, uh, to want to do that. So don't, don't give them Harvard. Let's see, at least save that one. And maybe Dartmouth too. So Manly Dartmouth, the Dartmouth Indians, the Dartmouth of yore. Bill Buckley once, William F. Buckley, yeah. Yale man. I've always thought of this. He once was telling, he had come back from a dinner party at which he sat, sat next to a very prominent Yale yeah. alum and the Yale Bill had tried to involve him in some intrigue or other to recapture some piece of Yale yeah. University and the alum to Bill's shock had said I'm all Yaled out I'm just done yeah and Bill said that's sort that's against the rules yeah that's the way you feel too we, we're not allowed to give yeah. up on the institutions that's right I thought of a fourth thing that we can do what's that go to the non-college vote which we've been doing, we conservatives and Republicans. So, get you the working to, glass, get the... You mean to say that Donald Trump was onto something? Yes. We won with highly educated. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. In that respect, that's, that's right. All right. Here's my last question, Harvey. And again, this is the, 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 the pleasure of talking to a man who's seen the rise and fall of empires. <laughs> 1970s, yeah. stagflation, the collapse of national morale with the defeat in Vietnam and Watergate, mm -hmm. the erosion of our position in the Cold War as the Soviets advanced, the 
take a coastal fleet and make it into a blue water navy. They mm -hmm. advance in Africa and mm -hmm. South America. And then in the 1980s, the very next decade, we get economic expansion, restoration of national morale, mm -hmm. victory in the Cold War. Mm -hmm. From 1979 to 1989, we go from the national humiliation of the Iranian hostage crisis mm -hmm. to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm -hmm. It is a stunning national yes. revival. Yes. Family, religion, the universities, are we capable of another such revival today? Yes, I guess you're asking whether Ronald Reagan was an accident or not. <laughs> I suppose that's what it comes to in yeah. a certain sense. Yeah. Was he in, Couldn't. of course we have the, each human being is in a certain sense an accident, unreproducible, mm -hmm. but was he a product of the Constitution? Did something happen in the 1980s that, the found, that wouldn't have surprised Tocqueville or the founders? And can it happen again? Um, well, he was a man that we found and uh, elected him. And he was a consummate politician and a man of principle. So, and a, a charmer. Those are three things we could look for again. And I think the opportunity is open. <laughs> The job has not been spoken job, for. Yeah, the job has not been filled. All right. Last question. What, why, if two students, yeah. 18 to 22 year olds, can you sum up why the United States of America is still worth studying? and fighting for. We're trying to do the most difficult thing there is to do, which is uh, a, to build and keep a successful republic, a successful experiment in self-government. Human beings don't have instincts. We're left free by nature. To, and, no, and many things are left open to us, puzzles and mysteries and so on. So we have to find our own sense of government and that's what America is about and that's what it's doing and I think and hope it will continue. Professor Harvey Mansfield of Harvard University, thank you. My pleasure. For Uncommon Knowledge and the Hoover Institution, Shooting today from the campus of Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire, I'm Peter Robinson.